Happy New Year, everybody. Thank you. Yeah, keep moving in. Uh, we've had great turnout on the other services to try to get people out of the 11, but obviously that's kind of the bottleneck for us. So if you just showed up, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Happy New Year to you on the internet. If you're watching us uh, from any place other than Chicago, we hate you, but happy New Year to you too. Um, we're going to do this uh, sermon today. It's just really kind of very, very different. It's based on a guy named Dr. Bruce Wilkinson uh, on, on a book that he wrote called Experiencing Spiritual Breakthroughs. Because as we enter into 2015, uh, the, the thing that I would pray for you and the thing that I would pray for us is that we can experience spiritual breakthroughs as a church and as people. And uh, if you know the name Dr. Bruce Wilkinson, it would be because you might have read a book that he wrote called The Prayer of Jabez. If you've been around Christianity a while, you know that was a big deal about 10 or 11 years ago. He wrote this book based on a, on a little-known prayer by a little-known guy in the Old Testament. It goes like this. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from the evil one. And, and the rest of it simply says, And God granted him his request. And he used that book to tell us that, you know, sometimes we don't pray for God's blessing because we feel like, man, oh, I don't want to be selfish, you know, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to ask God for things in my own life, you know, I mean, I feel bad kind of doing that. And he's like, hey, this guy said, Lord, bless, enlarge my territory and, and, and bless me. And, and so he kind of gave us all permission to say, God, I understand that it's about your will and all these things. If we do it for you and we pray enlarge my territory, why, why won't you do that? Why, why don't we ask you for that? I read that book in 2001, and I started praying that prayer. Um, as a matter of fact, along the way, my wife asked me to stop praying the prayer for God to enlarge our territory. Because in 2001, we had 1,000 people for Christmas Eve. This last year, we had 21,000 people for Christmas Eve, okay? I don't know if that is in a large territory. I mean, we became one of the fastest growing churches in the country. And I don't believe it's because of one prayer, one little book or whatever. But, but I believe it was partially, it's about understanding that God is this great big God. And he has a whole lot of stuff. He could actually take care of your grandma's cancer and bless you at the same time. He's that big of a God. And it's okay to ask him for a blessing. Um, the, the, so I started thinking, okay, well, if he wrote that book and that's pretty good, then maybe he's got other books. And I read this book that I'm going to take you through today, Experiencing Spiritual Breakthroughs. Um, it's about where you sit, all right? True story. Larry Walters, uh, out-of-work tr out truck driver, uh, lived in L.A., uh, lived by the airport in Long Beach, and uh, every day he would sit in, in his lawn chair and wonder what it would be like to fly. So one day he decided that he would try to figure it out. And he tied 36 weather balloons and filled them up with helium and tied them to his lawn chair. It's a true story. And, uh, and, and, and he also had a few other things with him, um, you know, a CB radio, a six-pack. Uh, I'm guessing PBR, but it can't be confirmed, okay? And, um, and uh, a BB gun. Because uh, what he was going to do was he was going to float up in the air, fly around, and then he was going to, you know, when it's time to come down, he was going to shoot the weather balloons with his BB gun and float back down to the earth, okay? So it um, didn't work out that way. Um, the one last rope that was holding on to him snapped, and he went up to 11,000 feet in his lawn chair immediately, 11,000 feet in the air in the flight path of Long Beach Airport. Yeah. I mean, they had to divert traffic around a guy in a lawn chair. 
Can you imagine being a pilot? Ladies and gentlemen, we're beginning our descent. There's a guy in a lawn chair. When, when he finally came back down to earth, of course, the media was there, and they asked him three very simple questions. Were you scared? His answer was, yep. Would you do it again? His answer was, nope. And they said, why did you do it? And he said, well, you can't just sit there. I want you to get a little Larry Walters in you this year because I want to to encourage you that you can't just sit there. You can't just sit in the same old chair in 2015 that you did in 2014 because the spiritual breakthrough is waiting for you if you will get in the right chair. And you're going to figure out pretty quickly that this is the right chair, okay? Goldilocks, don't don't worry about it. That's going to be the chair that is just right. And I'll explain it to you along the way with some different contrasts, but let me just help you out with the words, okay? This is the chair of commitment. This is the chair of commitment. When it comes to your spiritual life, spiritually speaking, this is the chair for the people who who say, you know, God is on the throne in my life. Everything is a part of what God wants to do in my life. They pray to him. You know, they're they're generous givers. They live their life on mission. They read their Bible. This is a chair one person. Now, nobody's perfect in this category, but that's the chair of commitment. This is the chair of compromise. And when you think of the chair of compromise, it's very obvious this is a bag chair, right? You can pick it up and you can move it very easily because this is a person who, who they, when it comes to God, they have a relationship with God, but it's kind of rooted in the past. And, and, and they move around a lot and sometimes they're with God and sometimes they're not. You know, they kind of have a little switch where they can turn the Jesus stuff on or off if they need to, but he's not on all the time. It's kind of like this guy's hearing aid well, with his wife. He, he can do that kind of thing, all right? When you think of chair three, I want you to think of the word complacent, okay? This is the chair of complacency. This is a person who doesn't care about God. They're an atheist. They're an agnostic. Maybe they grew up with a faith. Maybe they didn't, but they don't really care about God whatsoever, all right? Let me demonstrate for you how quickly we can move from chair one to chair three through a couple of things in Scripture. All right? Joshua, for example. Joshua, now fear the Lord and serve him with all your faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped and, and serve the Lord. But if, it, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, you choose, you figure it out who you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. How many of you heard that scripture before? Okay, maybe you got a plaque, right, in your house growing up. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're, we're going to be in chair one. Again, nobody's perfect, but this is the chair of commitment. You turn over a few chapters, actually, into the next book, the book of Judges, and it says, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him, who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. That doesn't sound bad yet, does it? But there's a couple of phrases in there that kind of catch you if you're paying attention to it. Who had seen all that God had done. You see, these people have a current relationship with God, and these people have an old relationship with God. Now watch how fastly things go to this chair of complacency. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and after that, the whole generation that had been gathered up to their fathers, another generation grew up, listen to this, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of Egypt, and they followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. So what you see is in one generation, things have gone from, we are the people who saw the Red Sea part. 
We saw the sun stand still so we could win our battle. We, we saw all of these miraculous things happen, and these are the people who knew about those things that had happened over there. And then the next generation is the people who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. That's pretty scary that it can go that fast. So what do we learn from this? Well, l- let me help you with some contrast that Dr. Wilkinson gives us in his book. Contrast number one is who is on the throne? Who's on the throne? Is it, who is it in this chair? It's obviously God that God is on the throne, right? Everything in their life is measured against what God wants. That's a chair one person. Their job, their family, their finances, everything that they do, it's all about God. They're, they're committed to him 100%. C.S. Lewis says, the one thing that Christianity can never be is moderately important. One thing Christianity can never be is moderately important. It has to be all or nothing. That's the way that it has to go. I was raised in a, in a first chair home. This is, this is where I grew up, and I'm thankful for that. I really, really am. I had a drug problem growing up. I was drugged to church on Sunday morning. I was drugged to church on Sunday night. I was drugged to church on Wednesday night. I was drugged to church for whirlybirds and jet cadets, and some of you know what that is. I mean, I was, and my parents weren't mean about it. They said, you know, you, you can walk or ride, and I lived five miles away from the church, so I usually went with them. That's the kind of home I grew up in. How many of you grew up in that kind of a home? Probably had that plaque. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? It was on there. You're going to church. This is the way that it's going to be. But along the way, as I grew up, I had to decide for myself, and that's where some of you are right now, where you're trying to decide for yourself where you want to sit. That's why this is important for the new year. This is the chair that you want to sit in, and you've got to make your own decisions along the way. doesn't matter how you grew up. You've got to make your own decision. Who's on the throne here? Well, this chair is both. It's, it's, it's me and God sometimes. It goes kind of back and forth. It just kind of depends on how I'm feeling at the time who's on the throne. You know, the funny thing about chair two, when I sit in chair two, I, I do that too, please. Again, nobody ever sits in this chair all the time and does it all right. The funny thing, here's how to identify if you're sitting in chair two. Who do you compare yourself to? If you start thinking about your spiritual life, do you go, Oh, yeah, well, I'm not as good as, no. You know what you do? You compare yourself to that guy, right? Every time. And, and right now, as I'm saying it, you're thinking of his name, aren't you? You know exactly who I'm talking about. You don't compare yourself to somebody over there because when you're here, you're, you're, you're going, here's the problem with this chair. You're thinking, well, at least I'm not that bad, right? At least I'm not that. Well, what is that? Well, the, the, who's on the throne here? It's self. It's very, very simple. It's me. It's all about me. This is, this is for me, uh, you know, my life. It's really that simple. Contrast number two, how do we view our relationship with God, all right? How's that going to happen? You think of chair one, you think of relationship, literally, a relationship. This is an ongoing relationship. This is me and Jesus having a relationship that's going on at, at all times, okay? Bob Russell, one of my mentors, said that he had a plaque in his home. I mean, it, it's a little over the top for me because it freaked me out, but his plaque said that Jesus Christ is the head of this house, the unseen guest at every meal, the silent listener to every conversation, I mean, that's true. I know that's true. These people realize that it's true. This is a first chair home, and Jesus is here. We're not going to do everything right. And trust me, nobody does this all the time. But this is a relationship. Again, it's fresh. It's new. This, the word for our relationship with God, is the word religion. This is what most people have. 
okay? They, they have a religion. They have a list of do's and don'ts. They have these things that, that they know they should do, they shouldn't do, and, and it's good enough to keep them over here and away from that, but it's not really a relationship. Billy Graham said that the problem with religion is that it can be like a vaccine. Think about it. What, 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 I mean, if you get a flu shot, what is that? It's a little bit of flu. You get a smallpox vaccination, it's a little bit of smallpox. And what a lot of people end up with is a little bit of religion that keeps them, that get, makes them feel good enough about themselves that they're inoculated against ever really having a relationship. If you want to have a spiritual breakthrough in 2015, it's going to mean having a relationship with God. It's going to mean about, uh, about something that is an ongoing thing. You see, the difference is these people are talking about God from 30 years ago. They're talking about the, the past. These people are involved in the present. These people are surviving. These people are thriving. And when you think about it, the difference is, uh, you know, is that this person's life is completely permeated by Jesus. Everything that they do. This person's life is compartmentalized. It's the chest of drawers. I mean, they still have God, and, and, and God may be actually in the top drawer of their life. And then they have the second drawer, which is their family and their friends and their relationships. And then they have their third drawer, which is like their job and their hobbies and the things that they do. And then they have their fourth. Oh, you don't want to look in the fourth drawer. They, they got everything compartmentalized. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, so if it's the, if, it, if it's from around my church friends or it's the weekend, I'm going to sit over here. But if it's, you know, my other friends or it's the other time in my life or even my job or whatever, I'm sitting over here because I don't realize that what I'm doing is I'm living in this chair of compromise. I, I'm not completely sold out to the commitment of having Jesus be involved in everything that's going on in my life. And that's what chair one is, and that's how you have spiritual breakthroughs. Again, this is why this is so easily movable. Cowboy walks into a bar. This is a joke. <laughs> Cowboy walks into a bar and he orders uh, three beers. Sits down and a uh, bartender you know, gives him his three beers and the guy starts to drink one beer and then, then he sets it down and he drinks another beer then he drinks another beer. Bartender, after a while, comes up and he says, you know, they start to go flat as soon as I draw them. Why don't you just let me, you know, get you one at a time? And he said, oh, you don't understand. I'm, i got two brothers, and we're really close. One of them lives in Flagstaff. One of them lives in Albuquerque. And, you know, I, I'm here in Gallup, and, and we don't get to drink together very often. So we decided that whenever we would go out to a bar, we would drink together even if we weren't together. And the guy said, well, that's, that's kind of cool. I get that. And so this guy became a regular, and he'd come in, and he ordered three, you know, three beers every time. And everybody in the bar got to know him, you know, and knew, knew the whole story, and they, everybody explained it. Everybody thought it was really, really cool. Until one day, he walks in, and he orders two beers. And it's kind of a quiet hush over the whole bar. And the bartender, you know, poured the two beers, and then took them to him. And he said, listen, I don't mean to intrude, but I just want to offer my condolences for your loss. Guy looked at the two, two beers and he goes, oh, no, my brothers are fine. It's just that my wife and I joined the Baptist church and I had to quit drinking. <laughs> Hadn't bothered my brothers at all, but, you know, I had to quit drinking. You see, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, you don't have to quit drinking to join this church, by the way, you know, I mean, uh, Jesus made wine, it's about drunkenness and all that kind of stuff, but, but that, that they're compartmentalizing, they're like, okay, I got these certain things that I got to do and certain things that I don't do, and that is basically just religion, that's really all that is, it's religion, 
And again, this chair is simple. This word is rebellion. It's rebellion. I don't want to have anything to do with God. If I'm having a conversation with somebody who is an atheist, usually I get to the point where I say something like this, and I would say it to you if you're, if you're not sure what you believe. I honestly believe that if I get to the end of my life and I find out that I was wrong and they were right and we all just become worm food, I honestly believe I've had a better life here because of what I believe. And then I turn to them and I say, but on the chance that we get to the end of life and I'm right and you're wrong, it's a different story. And sometimes they say, I, I know, I don't care, I don't believe it. I'm, I'm in rebellion. It's, it's completely not important in my life and if it gets to that point, I'll go to hell, deal with it, doesn't matter. Honestly, I love working with you people. If you're sitting there and you're in chair three, I, I love you because at least you're honest. This is the chair that's really, really gross. Uh, this is the one that we, that we want to stay out of. And obviously, I don't want you to fall back into this chair. I mean, I, I got to give you a couple of warnings about this chair. This chair is really comfortable. And, and the problem with the comfortability of a chair like this is the longer you sit in it, the more comfortable you get, Right? You go buy a new lazy boy and you're like, oh, honey, I'm going to sit in here for two years before this is going to feel right, right? Because after you sit in it for a while, you know, and, and wives, guys, back me up on this. Do not throw away our lazy boy, ever. Can I get an amen? All right, come on. We broke that sucker in. It's comfortable. But here's the problem. I don't know if you noticed this, but at least for me as I'm getting older, the longer I sit in this chair, the harder it is to get out of. I mean, I'm a grandpa now. It's not going to be long. I'm going to have to have one of those Medicare chairs where it lifts me all the way up, you know. There you go. Oh, thank you. I mean, I want to warn you of that. If you're in this chair, the longer you sit there, the harder it is to get out of it. But, but at least you're being honest, all right? Here's another contrast. How do you view the Bible? How do you view the Bible? If you're in this chair, you submit to the Bible. The Bible is God's word. You, you believe that that's what it is. Now, I know that the Bible's open to a lot of interpretation, and there have been a lot of horrible people out there that, that thought that their view of the Bible was the right way, and so they were submitting to their view, and if you didn't submit to their view, you were in trouble. I mean, for crying out loud, those are the people that killed Jesus, right? The Pharisees, they were in chair one when it came to their version of the Bible. That's not really what I'm talking about. Mark Twain said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that get me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do. I'm talking about if Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, people in that chair are like, no, not today. I don't think so. But the people in this chair, they take that seriously. They live their life that way. They try. People in this chair respect the Bible. They respect the Bible. It has a lot of great things to say, but if it's going to bug me and mess up my life, then I'm going to slide over this way because there's a lot of other things that I could listen to. It's a sliding scale, okay? Submits, respects, they own a Bible. <laughs> they own one. It's a big fat King James that grandma passed them down. It's got some birth dates and death dates in it and a flower from Susie's prom pressed in there, right? Doesn't do anything for them. That, that's the difference, okay? Which is all fine. I, I mean, it really is all fine. And I just got to let you know, uh, when it comes to the Bible, we at Parkview really believe in the Bible, and we try to teach from the Bible, and uh, I'm getting ready to start a sermon series next weekend called How to Wreck Your Life. 
It's a little tongue-in-cheek in case you haven't figured that out already. And we are going to look at what the Bible says about some very important areas of our life. Next week, I'm gonna, I'm, my sermon is how to, how to commit adultery, okay? If you want some lessons, come on out because I'm going to talk about what the Bible says about adultery and marriage and how we keep that together because we're, we're submitting to it. Really, really important. Contrast number four, how do we view our jobs? Right? These people see their job as a mission, God has called me to this place and I have a mission. I'm going to live my life on mission. It's really important. These people see their job as a blessing. And thank you, God, for giving me this. I appreciate it. And it's a blessing. Chair three sees it as an opportunity. It doesn't have anything to do with God. It's just an opportunity. And I'm going to try to get ahead. All right? How do we view marriage? You see how this is working? These people see marriage as a covenant. A covenant means that I'm entering into this agreement in such a way that I'm going to take you and, and, and your benefit more important than me. That I'm going to commit myself to you and whatever needs to happen for you more importantly than me. Chair two sees their marriage as a contract. We made a contract, we made a deal. As long as you do for me, I'm going to do for you. And whenever that doesn't happen, then, then we'll split up. And, and I, I, I tread softly on this because I know half of you are divorced. That's the average crowd. Half of you are divorced. And, and I don't want you to feel like a second-class citizen. And I know there are biblical reasons why you need to get divorced. And sometimes your spouse walks out on you. And sometimes, you know, there's a lot of different circumstances. Please don't hear this as judgment in any way. Hear this, that where you're at right now and who you're married to, if you could start treating it in first chair, you can make it. You might need some help. You can make it. My wife and I will celebrate 31 years of marriage in a couple of weeks because we've been sitting in that chair more than we've been sitting in this chair. And I guarantee you, we would be divorced. I mean, this is, we're not some kind of fairy tale, you know, Cinderella and her prince story going on in our house. We would be divorced if we didn't decide to sit in that chair because there have been times that she hasn't done for me what she said she was going to and a whole lot of times when I didn't do for her what I said I was going to. But we decided to sit over there instead of over here. Chair three views their marriage as, I don't even know, it's, it's kind of bizarre. It's convenience, I guess. It's a tax break, right? Let's call it what it is. I mean, I don't know why Brad and Angelina finally tied the knot, you know, but for some reason, you know, maybe it's just a little more convenient. H how are you as a parent, okay? How, how, if, you're, if you're a first chair parent, your goal is to raise godly kids, godly kids. I want kids that, that, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I hope that when they grow up, as for them and their house, you know, they're going to serve the Lord. Chair two, it's about good kids. We want to raise good kids because, you know, you know, don't mar the family name. Don't do anything that will embarrass us. Just be good, you know. Follow God if you want to or what. doesn't matter. Chair three, they want to raise successful kids. I want to have something to brag about on Facebook. I want to have something to put in my little Christmas letter, you know. I want to make sure you make enough money to take care of me if I run out in my old age. That's, that's what we do here, right? This is what happens in the lives of people a lot along the way. Here's an example from the Old Testament. King David. Bizarrely, King David is called a man after God's own heart. I say that bizarrely. This is at the end of his life. God says, he is a man after my own heart. You know why that's bizarre? Because King David committed adultery and committed murder. How can you be a man after God's own heart if you've committed adultery and murder? I'll tell you how. 
You get up every morning and you decide, I'm going to come back and I'm going to sit in this chair. And after David blew it as many times as he did and as big as he did, he still came back and sat in this chair. That's all God's looking for is for you to get up every morning and sit in this chair. The problem is along the way, David did not get that passed on to his kids. Um, I, don't, I don't know how necessarily, what it all happened, but, but, but all of David's kids turned out bad. The one that's the most famous is the one that turned out good for a while, and his name was Solomon. He wrote some of the books of the Bible. The problem was, the older Solomon got, the more wives he started to take on, and they were political allies, and they served other gods, and kind of as Solomon's life just kept going, he kept going this way, and going this way, and going this way. And then Solomon has a son. His name is Rehoboam, who is one of the worst kings of Israel. The reason most of the New Testament is written is because Rehoboam blew up the kingdom of Israel, and they divided the kingdom, and God had to separate them, and all kinds of bad stuff went on. Please understand that second chair parents confuse their children when it comes to Christianity. Please understand that. Dr. Wilkinson said he has done this talk to tens of thousands of people, and he, what he's found out has not been really mind-boggling when it came to first chair. If you want to have first chair children, you need to be first chair parents. There's no guarantees. I say this a lot, there's no guarantees because even God created Satan who had freedom of choice and decided to walk away from God. So just because you're a first chair parent doesn't mean you're going to have a first chair kid, but if you want to have them, you better be them. The thing that was surprising to Dr. Wilkinson was that second chair parents did not raise second chair children. Second chair parents raise third chair children. Which makes sense if you think about it, right? If you're Rehoboam and you see your dad Solomon, who's kind of with God sometimes and really wise, and then sometimes he's over there following the other gods, you're like, I don't need that. The whole generation of young people that, that watch their, their parents grow up in this chair, they're like, oh, forget it, I don't, need, I don't need God. Why would I mess with this? You see how this works? So what, so what do we do with it? Well, let's begin with first chair. If, if, if you believe that this is the place for you to be, um, the first thing I need you to understand is that if you're sitting there right now thinking, boy, I'm sure glad PT gave that message. Those people really needed to hear that message. You probably didn't get it, okay? Uh, but if you are like me and you're thinking, you know what, sometimes I fall back into second chair and as I start this new year, I really want to be committed to have spiritual breakthroughs in my life, then the word for you is reaffirm reaffirm your commitment to Jesus. The beginning of the year, right now, just say, you know what, Jesus, I'm gonna sit in the first chair this year. And, and, and you gotta do it every day. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily, daily, and follow me. It's about getting up every day and saying, okay, it wasn't such a great day yesterday, but today I'm going to follow you. It's a daily occurrence, okay? It, this is something that, that, that you're going to need help with, too, and I, and I want to encourage you with that. Um, we've got ju Just Try It this weekend. You've got the cards in your bulletin. We, you, you've got a place to sign up and do a Just Try It. That's the way we get people to do a first serve opportunity around here. Go work in kids. Go work in the parking lot. Go help us do something, because we're, we're going to have a record crowd this weekend. We had a record Christmas. We need more people to help us. We, we literally had a record crowd of kids at the 9 o'clock service, like 320 kids. And so what does that mean? It means we need you to be involved. And here's how you know you're in first chair. 
One of the ways that you know you're in first chair is that the carpet is usually worn out underneath your chair. Because whenever God calls and he asks you to do something, you get up and you go do it. So I want to encourage you, if you want to reaffirm, one of the ways that you could do that is by signing up and doing the first serve thing. Throw it in the offering plate, go out there with somebody with the balloons and sign up and just try it. If it doesn't work, it's okay. You can change whatever you need to. Here's the other thing that's going to happen for you. As you reaffirm this, you need to have people in your life that are going to help you reaffirm it. And one of the beauties of serving is that you're going to be in community. I mean, I'm guessing there are people in the chapel and there's 2,000 people in this auditorium. You can't get to know everybody that way. You need some people in your life. You can say, hey, you know what? I want you to pray for me. I'm going to be in first chair. I need your help with this. And if you get in a serving team, you will have that. I mean, that's the perfect place. And obviously, we want you in a small group. I'm thinking of my son-in-law's dad down there, Bob, who's on the parking team. And I mean, he's so excited to come and stand out there and freeze his butt off every week in the parking lot because they're on the radio talking to each other. They're in each other's lives. They've got accountability. He's a part of a group. You're going to need that if you're going to get up and get in this chair every day. If If you're sitting in this chair and you're thinking, well, that looks like me, the word is repent. It's a biblical word. It just simply means turn around and go the other way. It means I'm going to decide that, I, you know what, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go sit over there because this is a very, very dangerous chair for me. I don't think this is going to work. I've got to repent of, of what's going on in my life because the Bible says faith without works is dead. So if, you, if you're sitting in this chair and you're saying, well, yeah, I believe, I believe in God and that's all awesome. You know, the Bible says big deal, so do the demons. I mean, you got to get up and go do something about it. Belief is a good place to start, but it's a terrible place to finish. There's a verse in the New Testament that really sums up the problem with this middle chair. God said, I know your deeds. I know that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you were lukewarm, not hot or cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That verse literally means that you make God want to vomit when you sit in this chair. It literally means that when I sit in this chair, and I do it a lot too, that it really literally makes God sick. He would rather we just decide to sit in that chair or sit in that chair because this chair is the one that messes everything up. And let me tell you why this chair messes things up. Because there are four million people within a 30-minute drive time of our two campuses that don't have a church don't have a relationship, they they don't sit in that chair, they they might sit in this chair, most of them sit in that chair. Four million people. Do you know what happens when those people see these people? They don't want to have anything to do with it. The reason I need for you and I need for me and the reason we need to be sitting in that chair is because let your light so shine before men that they will see your good deeds and want to glorify your Father in heaven. That's our mission. And when they see that, they just get confused. Somebody wrote it up well this way. If, have you heard the poem, Footprints in the Sand? It's a real famous Christian poem about God carrying us in the sand. Here's a little diversion. One night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there were seen. I need to sit in this chair while I do this. One set of footprints there were seen, the footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. Then some stranger prints appeared. I asked the Lord, what have we here? These prints are large and round and neat, but Lord, they are too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, 
For miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused. You made me wait. You disobeyed. You would not grow. The walk of faith you would not know. So I got tired, had it up to here, and there I dropped you on your rear. (laughs) Because in life, there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb, when one must rise and take a stand or leave their butt prints in the sand. (laughs) That's your New Year challenge. How about that? It's time for us in this new year to say, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to just depend on God to carry me all the time now. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go sit over here. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get up and take his cross and go daily and make something happen. We will help you with it. We have core classes here. We have a what we believe class on Thursday night. We have after you believe. We have all kinds of things that we can do to help you with this. But I want you to understand that this is where we want you to be. Okay, some of you in this room, you're in you're in the third chair. What what would your word be? Your word is receive. It's really that simple. This is a gift, but a gift can't be a gift until it's received. And you need to understand that God sent His Son to die on a cross so that you could be freed from this life. And you say, "Well, there's nothing wrong with my life." Really, really, really. Because what God promises us is what we refer to around here as the life of C. It's the life of C. Sometimes we think, I want to get from A to B in this world, but, but what God has is something that's so much better for you. It's the abundant life that you can't even possibly imagine. For most of you in chair two, I venture to say the best thing that you could do is get some people around you in your decision. And in chair three, the thing, I would say the same thing. Get some people around you and, and help you with your decision. But here's what I want you to understand. If you're in chair three, you receive. But when you receive, you might be thinking, well, I'm going to scoot over to the next chair. And I want to encourage you not to even consider this chair. As a matter of fact, I want to... Uh, I want to, pardon me if I get you wet, I want to baptize that chair because that's the worst chair we could possibly have. I want you to get up out of that chair and I want you to go sit over here. And I don't want that chair to be an option for us anymore because it makes God sick and it's not the kind of life that we know that we ought to live and that we know we want to live. Sorry about your guitar, Johnny. I I want you to understand that, okay? I want you to understand that if we could all just get up every morning and say, I'm going to be committed to God, I'm going to be committed to sitting in this chair, there's no limit to the spiritual breakthroughs we could have as a church and we could have as people. So I'm asking you, whatever chair you're sitting in today, symbolically, whatever, in your mind as we take communion, get up, repent, receive, reaffirm, and come back over here because this is the best life for you. Let's pray. God, as we, uh, as we end today, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for the opportunities I have to share about the fun things that go on around here and how many first chair people we've got around here. It's amazing how many dedicated servants It's amazing what kind of ministry goes on around here. It's amazing the people that we reach. I'm so thankful for that guy last night that told me that three years ago when I did this sermon, he he had four DUIs and he decided at that sermon that that was the moment he was going to stop and he was going to get up and and go sit in that chair. And and now he's here and he's serving and he's dry. Sometimes it's about us just making a decision in our heart. But Lord, it's not about our power. It's not about our willpower. It's about your power. It's about us getting up and saying, I want to sit over here. Jesus, please help me. 
that same power lives in us, and we know that it does. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it lives in us. So give it to us today, and let 2015 be the year of spiritual breakthrough. In Jesus' name we pray.